0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show.
1: With all due respect, I reject your theory completely, but you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give
0: Jeff a call at 414- 799-1620.
1: Move for present. Get in the race will he run and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner yeah is that a fair question to ask about the Brewers what do you know what is going on I mean and and candidly it maybe just because three of the last four games I've been to they've just played listlessly they played bad baseball and you know the season is starting to slip away plus you know you're halfway into the season and you do kind of wonder what goes on at some of these meetings. So, Mr. Big Talker, what would you do? Jimmy Nelson, starting pitcher, is a great young man. He's worked really hard to come back from a catastrophic sh- shoulder injury a year and a half ago. I- I've been to two of the games he started at home. He's not there. Now, I... You hope he's going to be able to come back, but he's lost a lot of velocity. He doesn't have control of his pitches. You need to send him to the minor leagues and and hope that he can work out. He's not ready to come back. You can't put him on the mound because you guarantee that, like happened last night, you're behind 3 to nothing and then 5-1, to and the game is out of control. That's number one. Number two, Travis Shaw, their third baseman yesterday, who grew, who's producing the show today and always, in the second inning made one of the worst plays that I have ever seen this side of Little League there was a ball hit into the alley in center field. Kane tracks it down. The guy tries to stretch a double into a triple. Kane throws a strike to Arcia. Arcia throws the ball to Shaw. The ball beats the runner to Shaw by probably five or six feet. So, I mean, he's he just, he's clearly out. And then Shaw just stands there with the glove. The guy jumps over Shaw and he misses the tag. I, I just. I have no idea. And if you're going to hit 177, you can't miss those kind of plays. So what, what do you do? Well, it's it's kind of easy. You you take Shaw. You can send him to the minors. You send him to the minors. You move Moustakis back to where he should be playing third base. You bring up the kid who they were winning when he was playing second base. And that's at least a start. I have some other suggestions as well. Call me up, David Stearns. It's not that hard a decision. But, I mean, the fans were really, really restless last night as they were pouring out of Miller Park after just another bad performance. All right. That's out of my system. I don't feel better about it because I am a huge fan. And, you know, you wanted to see great things happen this year, and it's just not. And you get the idea this this, uh, season is slipping away. All right. Let us start with the major national and international story. Iran is a rogue nation. I think President Trump did the right thing in not bombing the heck out of them. Now, I let's let's review the bidding here. Iran has been a well, It has been a hemorrhoid on the pimple of the world since the 1970s. You you remember the Iranian hostage crisis where they took all those, they invaded the U.S. embassy and took all those uh, people in the embassy and held them hostage and pretty much ended Jimmy Carter's presidency because Jimmy Carter just couldn't figure out how to get them back. The day Ronald Reagan was inaugurated is the day that Iran released the hostages because I think they knew that Ronald Reagan wasn't going to fool around. So... Uh, but ever since then, Iran has been a rogue state. Uh, there's, there's no question that if you look at, domest- if you look at global terrorism, um, Iran is the principal sponsor of global terrorism throughout the world. And Iran just doesn't care what anybody else thinks. That's just the truth of it. Now, a year or two ago, President Trump canceled this very, very bad deal that the U.S. had cut um, that was supposed to keep nuclear weapons away from Iran, but Iran was completely and totally ignoring that. So Trump rescinded the contract and he has been imposing economic sanctions on Iran, which have been pretty much crippling Iran. These economic sanctions have been hurting. So what is Iran doing? They've decided they're going to do saber rattling. They have put mines in the Strait of Hormuz, which is one of the, the, this is the strait in the Middle East where you have lots of, of oil flowing from the Middle East to to the West. And what was it, a week or two ago, you had two non-U.S. tankers that were set afire when they hit these mines that Iran had, had planted. All right, well, that nothing happened. We didn't retaliate. These weren't U.S. ships that got, you know, blown up or anything like that. Um, but it was an example of the provocation of Iran. So what's the story? Yesterday, two days ago, Iran shoots down an unmanned drone. It's key to mention that it's unmanned because if they had shot down a fighter plane or they had shot down an aircraft, a U.S. aircraft, and you had a loss of life, that, that changes the stakes completely. Here, it was a drone that was shot down. Clearly an act of provocation, Iran um, pushing to see how far they can go. Now, President Trump, very, very cryptic about what his response was going to be. The story today is he had apparently approved multiple strategic airstrikes against a handful of targets in in Iran. At the last minute, he now says he called them off because a general told him, if we do these airstrikes, there's probably going to be about 150 civilians, casualties, people who lose their life. And Trump decided, well, all right, they shot down an unmanned drone. The last thing I want to do, if I, if I launch these missile attacks and 150 people die, we have substantially escalated the crisis, and he doesn't want to do that. So he says he, he called this off at the last minute. Now, one fair question, of course, is you would think that if you were going to authorize a missile strike in the first place, now, I've I've never been in a position where I've authorized missile strikes, but if you were going to authorize a missile strike, one of the first two or three questions would be, okay, how are we going to do this? Where are we going to hit? And what's going to be the impact? How many people are going to die? So you would have thought that before he authorized it, he would have asked that question and got an answer because that's clearly something that you want to know. But in any event... Before the missile strike was officially given the the green light here, you know, missiles in the air, he he decided, I'm going to call this off. So the bottom line is, at least in the eyes of Iran, it appears that the U.S. has blinked. Iran has also issued a statement saying, yeah, we shot down a drone, but, you know, we could have also shot down a a passenger plane as well. So you have this volatile situation in the Middle East. You have this rogue nation, which in response to the economic sanctions, and clearly they're hurting, now what they're doing is they're mining the Straits of Hormuz, and at least this point so far they're, they're, they shot down an unmanned drone. You wonder what the next step would be. I don't think it's too hard to figure out that the next step is going to be they're going to shoot down some other sort of airplane. The question becomes, was President Trump right in calling off a strategic missile attack against Iran? 414 That is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. My answer for a variety of reasons is, is yes. He was right not to shoot missiles into Iran if it was going to cost 150 lives. But that decision is going to come up again sooner rather than later. Did he do the right thing by not hitting targets in iran yesterday 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line we are back to discuss in just a moment it's twelve
0: you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj
1: 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line i think president trump was correct in calling off airstrikes into iran let me explain why and he's going to be faced with the decision again I think by, candidly, by saying that they were going to do it and then saying he's backed off, I think he makes the U.S. look weak. I I would have kept my mouth shut. But here's the bigger line. I've been reading a couple books about, interested about whether it's Bosnia or whether it's Afghanistan or whether it's Iraq or whether it's Vietnam. All those are different sort of situations. But the one overriding lesson is, if you are going to use military force, you have to know for sure what it is that you are trying to accomplish, and you got to figure that out. Just bombing stuff for the sake of bombing stuff almost never works. And there's no question in this particular case that if you had launched a series of airstrikes, which would have led to 150 or 200 or 300 people, many of whom are probably going to be civilians, losing their lives. Well, you know darn well, you know darn well that that would have been been provocation for Iran to act up in some other ways. I mean maybe it's sending missiles towards Israel. Who knows exactly what? And I don't think this administration, as with many administrations before, I don't think they I don't think they have the end game. I mean I don't think that they know exactly what they want to do. I don't think anybody in this country wants to see a massive invasion of a country like Iran. I, I just I don't see that. My guess is The president would be much better off, rather than a a military retaliation, just simply to the extent there's any other economic penalties they can impose, just do it. Try to continue to cripple Iran economically, and maybe you can pressure the leaders into, I don't know, coming into the 21st century. Like I say, this is a rogue nation. It is a huge problem, but I don't think there's anybody in this country who wants – the United States to get involved in, in a land war. And I guess that's the that is the potential, you know, of this. And again, if you're just going to bomb things, all right, yeah, you, you blow up all right, you, you, you let's we blow up a, a missile launching site, okay. Or you blow up an oil refinery or whatever. Yeah, that that causes a short term harm. But at the same time, if in doing that you kill a hundred or one hundred and fifty or two hundred people, all you do is harden the resolve of the people and maybe kind of take the the world community and and turn it against you even further this is one of the problems of the diplomacy that I think President Trump has employed over the last couple years because I'm not I'm not sure that we have a lot of goodwill that's left with you know I don't know what was it the coalition of the willing what they used to talk about in the Gulf War or something like that I mean I, I don't think that there'd be much world support for launching attacks. Now, again, it's going to be, I I think that Iran is being definitely provocative and they're trying to do this. I hope I'm wrong, but I would not be surprised if somewhere along the line, the next thing that they do results in the loss of life, particularly the loss of US life. If they could figure out a way to do it, I suspect that they would. And maybe at that point in time, people are gonna come back and say, well, President Trump was weak in not escalating right away. Blowing up a couple refineries or blowing up a missile site, that to me does nothing. You've got to figure out if we're going to start using military power, what is our end game? What are we trying to accomplish by doing that? And then, then make the decision as to it's worth it, whether it's worth it or not. So actually, long story short, I agree with President Trump. I think a missile attack that would have cost 100, 150, 200 civilians their lives, I think that would be disproportionate to shooting down a drone. Iran shoots down uh, an aircraft, and you have 35 people lose their lives, most of whom are Americans, or just regardless of where they are, I guess, that's a different story. But right now, I'm hoping that cooler heads prevail. I'm also hoping that there is a long game that they figure out in Washington. But I will tell you, just like North Korea, the sooner... The sooner the leadership in Iran changes, the better it will be for the world. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. The state Supreme Court issued a ruling today, once again, Demonstrating how out of touch the Dane County Circuit Court is with the law. Now, I've always said this the law is an art, it's not a science. But one of the problems is you have, you have individual elected circuit court judges out in Dane County, and because Dane County is more liberal than the rest of the state those judges that get elected tend to be consistent with their constituents and they tend to be a lot more liberal than the um, rest of the state of wisconsin and you see that in a number of the decisions that come out now one of the reasons we spend so much time talking about the dane county circuit court is every time or many times when the government does something, Act ten, for example, right, what happens is the people who, who could not win in the legislature, they run to court to sue. And unfortunately, because Madison is the center of the state and it's the state capital, that's where all these lawsuits get filed. So at least at first blush, it is the more liberal than the rest of the state, um, Madison circuit courts who decide these cases. Now, thankfully, what happens is a lot of times you get these really, really wacko rulings, and then they go up and the Supreme Court ends up setting them straight, and they reverse them, and that happened again today. Um, I did not think it was good policy. After, when you had that lame duck session, this was the time after Governor Walker had lost the election in early November, through the time that Tony Evers was appointed. I did not think it was good policy for the legislature to come back in session, pass a series of laws which, moving forward, limited the power of the governor and the attorney general. So I, I didn't think that was good policy. I don't like the use of lame duck sessions like that. But as I said at the time, even though I didn't think it was good policy, it was clearly, at least in my opinion, it was legal. And it was something that the legislature had been do- doing for 40-plus years, an extraordinary session, well, because you had some liberals who were upset at this these policy changes, they filed this lawsuit. It goes to a Dane County Circuit judge who immediately you know, issues an injunction stopping all these laws from going into effect. Now, the scary thing about this decision is if it had been upheld, it wouldn't have just applied to what the legislature did in November and December. It would have applied to all the different laws that have been passed over the last 40 years. And the Dane County Circuit Judge, Richard, what, it's nice, uh, just a completely and totally, in my opinion, flawed analysis of of the law, completely and totally flawed. Well, in any event... The state Supreme Court ruled today by a four to three margin, the four conservatives and uh, two months from now, there'll be five conservatives. The four conservatives saying, no, there, there, there's no problem. The law clearly allows the legislature to do what it's been doing for the last 40 years, which is meeting in executive session. So you're in a situation where now we're back to square one. The law is what it was when Governor Walker, before leaving office, signed those various bills into law. Again, you can argue about the policy, but to sue about the process, I think, bordered on being frivolous, and the state Supreme Court today upheld that whole process. It's good, 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 because if there had been a different ruling, I think you could have looked to see... All sorts of stuff that was passed over the last 40 years, most of which was for the good, suddenly being invalidated simply because you had a politically motivated, in my opinion, judge in Dane County, and you had some people who didn't like the fact that the legislature did what it did. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. It is set that doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised what the results are not different is the definition of insanity and on the national political scope that is exactly what is happening right now you have a republican president um... whether president trump is reelected or not i, I guess we'll see a lot of betting people who were wrong in 2016 don't see him winning reelection you've got the democrats that control the house of representatives the, the nancy pelosi's and they're kind of They've got their own circular firing squad going because you've got centrist, moderate Democrats, and then you've got the Alexandria Ortez C- Cortez um, group of, of Democrats that like kind of the far left. So there then looks, but it's still, I think, a lot of people think the likelihood is the Democrats will retain control of the House of Representatives, which makes the which makes the U.S. Senate extremely important because let us say that Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren is in fact the Democratic nominee who becomes president and let's assume for the sake of argument that the House of Representatives stays with Democrats. Can you imagine the crazy stuff that is going to come out of there when these socialists or semi-socialists start implementing their policies, which means the, 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 the firewall is in the U.S. Senate. Now, right now, the Republicans control the U.S. Senate by a majority of 53 to 47. And I'm including in that 47 count people like Bernie Sanders, who are technically they're socialists, but they caucus with the Democrats. So the Democrats have to have a net gain of of. Well, actually, probably only three seats if they have a a Democratic president. All right. So this Senate map. Well. It's got some challenges for the Republicans. Uh, Republicans are defending Senate seats in Colorado, North Carolina, Arizona, Iowa, and Maine. If they could somehow pick up three of those seats, three out of that five, it would put them at 50-50. Now, here's why Alabama is important. Alabama is a Republican stronghold. Right now, the senator from Alabama is a Democrat, how did a republic? How did a, a Republican stronghold like Alabama be held by a Democrat? Well, remember in twenty seventeen there was a special election that happened after the former Attorney General, uh, who the former Attorney General resigned his Senate seat, Jeff Sessions, and he went and you know, only he, he was the Attorney General for two years. Well, there was a special election. And this is, it's a state that Donald Trump won by 27 points. It should have been a state that the Republicans won easily, except they did what Republicans have done from time to time. They nominated the one person in the state who could not win the seat. Remember, they nominated this guy named Roy Moore. Now, Roy Moore was a, a state Supreme Court judge who was thrown off the bench because, you know, he refused to follow federal law. He's kind of this maverick figure in Alabama. Um, lots of lots of weird things. And here's the difference between people on the right and the left. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. Both sides have kooks. We on the Republican side, I think we're willing to acknowledge our kooks. You, you never hear Democrats saying, boy, that's that so-and-so. That's really a kind of a kooky idea. But Roy Moore is a kook. Roy Moore also, what really torpedoed his Senate run, was you right, might remember that um, he was like a state's attorney, I think, the equivalent of a district attorney, and you had a number of women that were coming forward saying that he was chasing after them when he was in his early 30s and they were teenagers. It, the, the ick factor was... Was off the charts. But so the guy's tainted with that. He's a kook. And and he loses. He loses a race that, you know, it's almost impossible to lose. So that seat is up again in November of 2020. So Alabamans will be voting. This should be a seat that the Republicans pick up. And it's an important seat for the Republicans to pick up, because if you can get a gain in Alabama, and you should have that, it offsets if you lose in Arizona or you lose in Iowa or you lose in Maine. Now, I'm not predicting they will, but that would be an important pickup in that firewall if the Democrats retake the presidency and retake the House of Representatives. So you want, you want a good candidate. You Actually, you want a great candidate, somebody that embodies the values of Alabama, and most importantly, somebody that can win. So what happens yesterday? Well, Roy Moore decides he's going to run again. Not being willing to take no for an answer, he says he's going to run. Now, many top Republicans in Alabama, and even President Trump, have said don't. They've discouraged him from running. They say, "Look, you can't win. If you couldn't win in 2017, you're not going to be able to win in 2020. Don't do this. We need to pick up the seat." But Roy Moore doesn't care about the Republican Party. He cares about his own personal interest. So he's jumping in now because he has this name recognition and things like that. I, it, it's beyond me that anybody would vote for him in a Republican primary, but. Maybe that's exactly what's going to happen, because like I say, he's a well-known figure and Republicans have a history in primaries of the people that come out voting for the least electable person possible. So Roy Moore says he's in it to win it and he's jumping back in the Senate race. I don't know. I mean, hopefully this is going to go nowhere. Because the reality is, if Roy Moore wins the Republican primary, and he is the Republican nominee in Alabama, that seat's going to be lost for six years, and it's a seat that the Republicans are going to need desperately if they're going to, well, if they're going to be that firewall in the Senate in the event that a Democrat is elected president. Roy Moore, I don't know what the guy does for recreation. I mean, I don't know if he likes to read or play golf or hunt or whatever. Whatever that is – it's time for him, I think, to move on and leave the Senate dreams aside. Okay, when we come back, please, please, please make it stop. Stick around.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
1: For me, robocalls go in streaks, and I'm on a streak of robocalls on my cell phone in the last 24 hours, and, I, and I've counted this because right before the show, I went through and I, I blocked and erased these. I had 18, 18 robocalls, you know, un, and, I, you know, and I, I just, you know, the the ones where there's, like, no message that's left. You know, but 18 robocalls over the course of, like, the last 24 hours since the program has started. I have had another six. I mean, I have my cell phone here. It's turned on vibrate, and it keeps, you know, in case case there's an emergency or something and it's one call after another some cases they leave voicemails, most cases that they don't. And so then what I end up doing is I end up, you know, blocking it. Okay. But what happens is it is an ongoing annoyance. Because, for example, every once in a while somebody calls me that I want to talk to, or it might be an emergency situation or whatever. So I'm driving in the car and the phone goes off and you have to see, oh, this is, you know, this is not one that I'm going to answer. This is a robocall. But I, I, I swear, I mean, I'm probably going on, like, I'm going on two dozen um, in the last day and a half or, or two days. And so for some reason, my, my phone must be coming up in one of these computer things or, or whatever. But it is annoying. There was a story out the other day that talked about how it's more than annoying at some places because if you, for example, are at a hospital, and let's say it's a hospital emergency room, and the phone rings, you've got to answer that. I mean, you, you just have to answer that. So what about what about the robocalls that are ending up going to the hospital emergency rooms or to the fire departments or, or to whatever? And in some cases, particularly the ones that are going to medical providers in the hospitals, what they're saying is that it's not just a nuisance, but it's also a health hazard because, you know, the phone rings. You've got to answer it, and so you, it distracts you from whatever it is that you're doing to answer the phone, and it turns out oftentimes to be some of these, again, fake calls. So you see this all the time. It is a huge problem, and like I say, I'm in the barrel right now with my phone going off you know, constantly about the different robocalls that are there. They estimate that last month we Americans got $5 billion Unwanted automated calls from telemarketers and scammers five B as in billion calls. Now, I understand we can't get much done in Congress. I understand that you've got Nancy Pelosi on one side and you got Mitch McConnell on the other side and you got President Trump, wherever President Trump is. But if we can't agree on immigration and we can't agree on tax policy and we can't agree on health care, couldn't we agree that we've got to do something to stop all these robocalls. And to that end, there was a bill that was introduced in the House on Thursday, and this is what it would say. It would require phone carriers to offer screening technology to identify and block spam calls at no additional cost to consumers, and they would have 18 months to do it. Um, This is known as the Stopping Bad Robocalls Act, and... It was introduced by Democrats a couple months ago, but now a whole bunch of Republicans have signed on. It would apply to both wireless phones and land lines as well. And as you know, one of the people, one of the Republicans actually says, at one point this was just a nuisance. Now there are so many indications that this is putting people in danger. You have scammers now disguised as the IRS. You have those that are disguised as police officers. I think this undermines the people's faith in the phone system, and they do not answer, which is actually my response to this. If I don't recognize that number, I I don't answer. And I do end up listening to some of the voicemails and the ones that leave them. And most of the times, that's just press zero if you want to talk to somebody. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know about you, but I've had enough. I I really – I have had enough. And cell phones are great. I love the technology. But what's happening is – This has been taken over by the scammers and the robocallers, etc., and it's really just kind of paralyzing, I think, our phone system, and yeah, I think it's fair to say, hey, cell phone companies, phone companies, you've got 18 months to figure out how to block this stuff. Would you support something like this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My attitude is, please, please, please make it stop. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back. Robert and Slinger. Robert, you're first. Good afternoon.
2: Jeff, I'm calling because what you call my wife, she's, I mean, I'm working and she's at home. And yesterday we got eight phone calls with, on our ID caller, my name was on it, and my phone number.
1: Okay, and is this a landline or a cell phone at home? Landline? a landline. Okay, got it. Got it.
2: And what you call it, she answered it uh, the first time, and they're saying they're Microsoft. (laughs) And when she told me all this, and I said, no, Microsoft doesn't call. She said, I know that. Well, what it was about, oh, six months, eight months ago, this company that my wife talked to, that was going to fix her computer, they are constantly harassing her. I mean, this isn't just a one-time, one day. Right. This has been going on for like about on and off for about two weeks.
1: Yep, yep. No, and and, it's, it, and you, it's, you just want it to stop. And, and But it, but when when your wife goes to answer it, it's not even showing up one of those bogus numbers. It's showing up that you're calling her, and you're not calling her. Right.
2: I'm yeah. not calling her because I'm on a cell phone right now, but I'm not calling her. Right, and, and she you know, and she thinks that there's something wrong with me or something happened to me on the road, yeah, well, and exactly, sure, yeah, said, I mean how can this how can this be? this is our own phone number
1: right, well, that thanks for calling. I mean there's all sorts of without getting too deep into the weeds as how this happens that this is this is the sophisticated thing that's going on now where they they are essentially stealing other people's phone numbers. I mean, a lot of the ones that I get come from numbers that are variations they've got the the area code and they've got the exchange so let's say you're in Milwaukee county 414 so to show up 414 and then then it'll have the other numbers that are there. So it'll make you think that, okay, well, this is somebody close to me or in the area. But it, it's gotten more and more sophisticated. And I, I understand that we always say, well, nobody's got a guppy on this stuff. Well, okay, first of all, some people do. And I guess if you're, if you're making a billion calls in a month, all you need is a relative handful of people to buy into the stuff and and respond. And, and then, you know, okay, so you're going to make some money. Oh, yes, it, it's true. Gruz just, uh, his parents get a call saying he's been kidnapped and they need $10,000 or whatever. All you need is one person to do that, and then you're kind of off to the races. But this, I guess, I just don't think that we simply by purchasing a telephone i don't think we consent to these sort of things and i think it's more than fair to say to the various phone providers look you've got the technology that's out there that can block this type of stuff boom you'll know, do it let's talk to renee in waukesha renee you're in wtmj
3: hi jeff um it's funny the gentleman that you just talked to the weird thing happened to me last night i got i came home and there was a message on my phone and it said, um, you keep calling this number, and then when I say hello, you hang up. So I called the number, and I said, listen, sir, I'm sorry, but we have never called your phone number. Somebody was taking my number and calling this guy. Yep. How they did that, I don't know. But the best one is my, we got the Microsoft call. Okay. And my husband was just in the mood that day. <laughs> And the guy called up, and he said, yeah, this is Microsoft. We need to fix your computer, blah, blah, blah. You know, just send us some money and right. we'll fix it. Well, my husband, before the guy could even get two words out other than, hi, this is Microsoft, and we noticed you're having problems with your computer, my husband says, how did you know?
2: Huh.
3: How did you know? It just broke.
1: Yeah. And he
3: had this guy. All of a sudden, you hear the guy say, you... You did not yeah. of so nice words and hung up on them.
1: Yeah, well, that, oh, so you're not only getting the scam callers, you're getting abusive scammers who are doing this as well. Now thanks for no going
3: Kitty, uh, and you know what, Jeff? Yeah. One more thing. Sometimes five, six, seven times a day, all with different numbers. Yep. Sometimes company names, sometimes just people names. It's that credit card company that wants to lower your interest rate.
1: Yep, and no, thanks. I mean see this is the bottom line here. This has become a massive, massive, massive problem, you know, in this country. And, and I think that the bottom line is that the scammers – and I understand it, it's tough for the law to stop this. This is the problem because you have a lot of people who are doing this stuff and it's – you know, they're, they're they're based in Russia or they're based in China or they're based in Saudi Arabia or whatever. And because of the, the all the stuff with the globe, you know, they're able to use the computers and they're able to sit in Russia and they're going to be able to do this. And they're in large measure – you know, somewhat outside the scope and the reach of the United States Department of Justice, which is why it is even more important for the you know, computer, the telephone companies to implement and figure out how do we stop this type of stuff and then let's distribute it to our customers and let's give it to them for free. And that's what this legislation would do. It's the Stopping Bad Robocalls Act. It was introduced in the House yesterday. It's got bipartisan support. It should pass the House. It should pass the Senate. President Trump should sign it. Maybe we finally found something that everybody can agree on. All right, when we come back, interesting study i'm going to tell you about what they did with somebody's wallet and then we're going to ask you what you would do stick around
0: live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now here's wtmj's jeff
1: wagner all right eric and grew who's producing the show today and always i have a i have a question for both of you here is the fact situation you are walking down the street You look down and you find a wallet, right? In the wallet, there is a business card that lists an email address. So it's got the person's name on it, identifies the person as a freelance software engineer. So it's got an email address, it's got a business card with an email address on it. The wallet has a, a key. It has a handwritten grocery list with a couple things on it. And it has $13.45 in cash. right? What do you do with it? I would email the email address. You would email the email address mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I found your wallet? Yep, Is this your wallet, found it. Okay, so you would email the email mm-hmm. address and, and do that. Sure. All right, Gru, what would you do? So there's there's no ID? There's no, no, good... there's not, there's a business card. Oh, so, you, a... so you know it's this person? Yeah, there's a business card. Well, then, yeah, I would contact them. Okay, for 13 four, Okay, all right, let me change the facts a little. Same circumstance... You're walking down the street. You find the same wallet, but instead of thirteen dollars and forty-five cents, it's got ninety-four dollars and fifteen cents in it. So, does that does that change it at all? <laughs> How big is this number going to become? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm, well, I, I okay, well maybe that's the, maybe that's where we're going. Okay, so Ooh, right. so okay so I, I it's now like it's ninety. Think... It's now it's ninety-four bucks. Same same stuff. Nothing changes. I would like to think that I would email and still say, hey got your wallet here I, I mean it's not a thousand dollars so oh what does that change it if it's thousand dollars are you keeping it no they wouldn't miss 20 bucks. Well, so. i mean maybe no, no, they might change some things well well, <laughs> well no i mean but that that the whole point of this and i'm what i'm going to ask you know you to be answering phone calls from people is to, to be honest there so if it i guess that's let's say it's 500 bucks are, are you are you keeping it then
4: I, I keep telling myself that I would contact the person. But if You're there, if there's if there's like over $1000 I don't know what I would do.
0: Boy, if you found it, but if I found a wallet with a huge wad of cash in it, I I don't think I would keep it. I don't I
1: I don't think so. Okay, especially if you had the business cards, right, so you yeah, know yes. you know who this person is.
0: Now, if he doesn't respond to my email, then
1: okay. Oh, okay, all right, I, I... let me let me change the facts one more time. Let's say you find the wallet but there's no money in it. There, there, there's no money. There's, so there's the it's the guy's wallet, there's a key, there's a handwritten grocery list, and there's um yeah, um yeah, but there's no dough. Do you do you email him then and say, I've got your wallet? Sure. <laughs> I <was gonna> say, <laughs> yes. Yes. Sure. All right, okay, all I right. I don't see why not. All right, all right. Our numbers four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is this larger point here, and there's this new study out that I find to be absolutely fascinating. But we we know where Eric is, we know where Gru is on this issue. But my my question is, I need you to be honest with this. You're walking down the street, you see this wallet on the ground, and again, it's got a business card in it, so you're able to identify the owner. It's got a key, it's got a grocery list. And then the variations are no money, twelve or thirteen bucks, or like a hundred bucks. Does does the amount of money? What would you do? And would you do the same thing in all indications? And let us assume for the purpose of this discussion that you, nobody's going to know if you if you pocket the wallet. It's not like there's some camera that's up there. This is just you and your conscience, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What would you do? We will discuss in just a minute. Gru is lining up the calls. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take
0: Your Calls.
1: Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Jeff in Pewaukee. Hi, Jeff.
2: Hi. Good afternoon. Great show. Thank you. i got to tell you a quick story. I found a lady's purse. And it had all of her identification keys, the whole thing. Right. And I called her up. We arranged to, you know, to meet somewhere, and I'll give her her purse. And it wasn't that convenient for me. And she looked right away into her money area, and there was no money. And she said, "Thanks a lot." I said, "Well, you're welcome." She goes, "No, thanks a lot for taking my money." I said, "Well, <laughs> I didn't take your money." If, I wouldn't be here if I took your money and given you the rest of your purse. But I'd still do it again.
1: Right, you'd do it again. But that—that that was she. She thought you had stole. So obviously, what happened is somebody found the purse, took the dough out, left it, and then you came along and found it without the money in it.
2: Absolutely. And
1: she thinks you're a thief.
2: She did, and not not so much as a thank you. But I, I didn't do it for that reason anyway. But I would still do it again.
1: Got it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Jerry in Milwaukee. Jerry, good afternoon.
4: Hi there. I found a wallet with a house key on it, driver's license, $30, uh, some plastic charge cards about right. three weeks ago. Oh. You know, when you first see the thing glinting in the sun, it's kind of like, oh boy, is there, is there going to be a big wad of cash in here? Right. And then picked it up, put it in my pocket, and you got to thinking about it. I can incorporate this in my, I see where the address is. I can incorporate this into my bike ride and drop it off to the house. I go to the house, knock on the front door, nobody answers. Knock on the door, bring in the doorbell, nobody answers. Get around the side of the house, the side door, and there's a big wad of keys in the side door, and the door is open ajar. Okay. Maybe somebody had to rush in there or whatever. I get over there, and I start ringing the doorbell on the side and knocking and knocking and knocking. Nobody shows up. Nobody answers. And so I took this thing, put it in a plastic bag, and I just hung it on the, uh, the side door of the
1: okay. house. Okay. Okay.
4: But it's it's tempting, but I think in second thought, when you when you get a chance to think about it for a while, I mean, this is a lot of stuff. This is somebody's identification. Oh yeah. And yeah. You, you just. Oh yeah, <clears throat> right. You're not going to get rich
1: off of it. Well, well, no. And the question is, how, how do you? I mean, how do you live with yourself, even if it's, if it's if, if whether it's thirteen dollars or whether it's you know ninety bucks or whether it's five hundred or whether it's empty? You'd, you'd like to think that if I lost my wallet, somebody would do the same thing for me if they knew it was mine. I guess I just I sort of believe karma is a you know what you know, and that, that's you know you do those things and, and maybe it'll come back to you at some point in time. So thanks for the call. well appreciate it. Okay, well, no, th- I, I, that, that's what I think is, is the right thing to do. As you can probably tell from this topic, not everybody does that, and there's some interesting stuff. But what would you do? 414-799-1620. That's, uh, let's see. Let's talk to Sean in Waukesha. Hi, Sean. You're on WTMJ.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And you just talked about karma. I was raised uh, Catholic, so I'd actually be worried about some nun <laughs> like flying out of nowhere, cracking me in the back of the head if I didn't do it. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's no amount of money that I couldn't turn in. Um, just because it's, it, it would. It would come back to haunt you.
1: Okay. Uh, what about, let, let's talk about, let's say there's no money in it. And an example that I was giving, it's, it's a wallet. It's got the guy's business card. It's got a little key. It's got a grocery list. But there aren't credit cards, and there's no money. In that case, would you go out of your way to try to return the wallet? So there's really nothing of value in that you found.
5: Well, actually, the value is in the wallet and the personal property. Um, Yeah, absolutely, I would. Just because there is so much stuff that a person has to go through nowadays, and uh, with identity theft and what it is, you just don't want to take that chance. And, you know what, if I lost my wallet, and there was nothing in there of, of say, value uh, other than the value of the ball. Right. Uh, I would want somebody to do that to me, and I think it would come back. Uh, again, it's yeah. something that just comes back. I yeah, think.
1: it's karma. Right, okay. No, thank, I, yeah. no and, and believe me, I, I'm with you. I am a huge believer in karma. I, I've just seen it play out too many times over the course of my lifetime. Troy in Walwatosa, Troy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call.
1: All right. So you find a wallet, um, what do you do? And is it de- does it depend on how much money is in it?
6: Uh, well, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'm a I, I'm a full time job, but I'm a part time Uber driver. And usually I drive during later in the nights, during bar time and stuff. And you know, you have people who have been drinking, and I've had several instances where people have left stuff in my car, left purses, left. Wallets in my car, and they've contacted me through Uber the next day, asking you know if I had right. something. I search my car, and I find it, and it's like you find a wallet full of money, or find a purse with money, and it. it's just like wow. You could easily say no, but my conscience wouldn't let me do it. Right. It just wouldn't. Let, it wouldn't let me do it. So if it had no money in it, or if it had money, in it, I would still return it, just because like the last caller said, you know, IDs and uh, credit cards and different things like that you may have in your wallet. It's, it's hard to replace those things, and so. Every time that I've done it and given it back to people, they've greatly appreciated it. Sometimes people have given me some money for it. Sometimes right. people haven't. It, but it's not about that. It's about just being a, a decent human being.
1: Right. And you've never had anybody accuse you of, like, stealing money or something out of it. Wait, there was supposed no. to be $400 here, and there's only $100. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> no, no, never
6: had that happen. Just that they just were happy to get their property back.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Nicole, because you're right. I mean, candidly – um, Now, again, an example I was giving, there's no credit cards, there's no driver's license, there's nothing like that. It's just the wallet itself. But you guys are all, you're absolutely right. You know, you, you know, I mean, you, you have your wallet stolen or you lose your wallet, you, you've got all that identification. It's like, okay, I got to call and cancel all my, my credit cards and things like that. And it becomes just a major league pain in the butt. And then you're worried about, am I going to be a victim of identity theft and that type of thing? Um, All right. uh, Rick in Green Bay. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Mm
2: Hi, Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yes, yes, you definitely. For one, you don't know what that key could be for. Right. So yes, I would. I, my son and I, back in '92, we lived in Milwaukee, off of 27th and National, and we found a wallet that had 400 plus dollars in it, and it belonged to a senior citizen living way on the north side. We took the, you know, the wallet and everything over there, and she tried to give us a, a reward, right? Forty bucks. Said we don't want it. She oh. goes well. You have to have something. I said, ma'am, we don't want your money. If you, you know, if we wanted your money, we'd have taken it all.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. Right.
2: But <laughs> I mean, it had all of her identity. But no, I would. You, you definitely. I mean, there is some ID even with that uh, that right. business card. Yeah. Know, and if the person says, "I don't know what you're talking about," well, then right. You know,
1: it's a, it's a different story. Okay. Thanks Nicole. All right. I am I am encouraged by the responses. And I believe everybody was giving the honest answer. Um, here, here's why I bring this up because they, they just did a, a study of this. Now we do studies of everything, but just yesterday they published a study, uh, in, in the journal. It's a science magazine. And it was really interesting. Now there, the way they did this was slightly different than the way I described for you. But what they did, and they did this across various countries, they took a wallet. And they again same situation, a business card, a key, a grocery, uh, you know a little bit of a grocery list written on a post-it note, and um, yeah, the key and um, and a couple business cards, and and what they did is they walked into a number of of public places, places like uh, post offices and train stations and hotels and bars etc., and they went up to. The, the person behind the counter. And what they said is the person would come in and say, I just found this on the street outside your place, and I, I'm in a hurry. I don't know what to do with it, but here, you know, it, somebody probably leaving your place dropped it. And so they, they gave it to the person in the bar, in the post office, in the police station. Do you know what I thought was so interesting that they found is that the wallets that had the money, whether it was 13 bucks or 94 bucks. The wallets that had the money were much more likely to be returned than the wallets that, that didn't have any money. And it's kind of a staggering uh, difference. Way more people emailed to return the wallets um, that, that had the dough. And interestingly enough, that the, the larger amount, like I said, was one in some tests it was $94.15, in others it was $13, way more people. Email to return the wallet when it was ninety four bucks than they did when it was thirteen bucks, and way more people email to return it when it was thirteen bucks than if there wasn 't any money in it now i don 't know exactly what that says or what conclusion that you draw from it other than all right, maybe, I mean, I'm going to try to look at the glasses half full, saying, all right, this is, if there's money involved, if there's an obvious value, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I understand who knows what that key is to, and you've got the wallet, maybe it's sentimental value, and this is the wallet that, you know, somebody's father who passed away a couple of years ago had given him. So, I mean, the obvious is sentimental value. But interestingly enough, when people, when people found that there was money involved, they were dramatically more likely to return the wallet than when there wasn't money involved. I'd like to think, I'd like to think that if it was me, especially if it's easy enough to handle, I mean, they have got the person's email address here, this is Frank Smith, and you'll contact him at fsmith at gmail.com. What I would do is it'd be easy. I'd sit down, hey, I was walking outside the street, I found your wallet, this is what's in it what would you like me to do with it, and then tell me where to send it or whatever, and I would probably do that. I like to think that I would do that because, like I say, I am very scared of karma. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So glad to have you with us. Hey, Summerfest starts next week. Um, We will be down there. I'm broadcasting live. On certainly Wednesday and Friday, I'm not sure about Thursday because it's only a half-hour show since there's an early Brewers game. Then I'm there a couple days next week as well. So if you're down at Summerfest, stop off and say hello. We are in our typical spot. And to get you in the mood for Summerfest... I am, between the end of the show, I'm going to be giving away two between now and the end of the show, but don't call now because we're not doing it now, uh, two pairs of tickets to Summerfest. We'll do one in this hour and we'll do one in the next hour. Gru, who's producing the show, I, guess I said that right. Okay, so but in the next 90 minutes, we'll give away two, two packs of tickets to Summerfest. It starts next Wednesday. All right. New developments in Shorewood. Chris Abley, the Milwaukee County Executive. Um, this is one of the great things that when you have a father who's a billionaire and you just have him give you a whole bunch of money. It gives you, well, some flexibility and some freedom to do things in life that most of the rest of us don't have. And in Chris Abley's case, it is buying really, really expensive properties. Abley owns a mansion on Lake Drive. It's either in Milwaukee or in Shorewood. He's been trying to sell that for a while. It, it's It's over a million-dollar property. He owns... Two side-by-side condos downtown in one of the really, really ritzy condo high-rises. Those properties, those condos, are worth more than $3 million. Huh. And he has just purchased another mansion um, north of the one that he owns already, the one he's trying to sell, 3534 Lake Drive in Shorewood. Now, we have talked about this before. Um, he, he purchased it. And I I think the people that sold him – this is the – the mansion is designed by an architect named Alexander Eschweiler. He he designed it, and he's a famous architect. Ably buys the property from the the people who owned it, and I think they they say – they just assumed, hey, he's going to live here. Now, obviously, you buy a house, you want to do some improvements to it, but Ably, he doesn't intend to live in the house that he bought – he decides he wants to level the mansion, just tear it down. To which I say, you know, first of all, you know, it, it's a nice life when you can buy a two point six million dollar property and then tear it down, tear it down, and then start over from scratch and rebuilding it. But it, but it's his property. Well, once the folks in Shorewood found out about this, their their heads just exploded. They started an online petition that more than a thousand people signed up for. Demanding that Shorewood block this demolition, uh, either he's tearing down an historic building, etc. The folks that sold him the house, well, they say, "Well, if we had known he was going to tear this down, you know, we we wouldn't have sold it. We thought he was going to live here." Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. He paid their asking price, so I, I I sold my house a year and a half ago, or a year ago, or whatever. You know what they do with it once they. Buy the house from me, it's, it's. I think it's their business. But anyhow, you have a large number of people in the community that are very, very upset that he's going to tear it down. Today, he just got approval to go ahead with the demolition. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. The reason this happened was because unlike a number of communities throughout the area that have historic property commissions – and have rules regarding historical properties and things like that, this this is not a community. Shorewood doesn't have any of these ordinances. And since the property is not registered in the National Register of Historic Homes, and since Shorewood doesn't have its own local, famous, you know, historical property thing, there's no restrictions. Ably, there's no rule, there's no ordinance that stops Ably from tearing this down. Now, when he rebuilds, you know, he's got to rebuild in conformance with what you know, whatever the the zoning codes are and those sort of rules. But there's nothing that says he has to keep the property. Like I say, Shorewood is somewhat unique because there's a lot of other communities around our area that you you can't do that. Whitefish Bay, remember, there's the guy who wants to tear down. He bought one of these mansions next door to the property he owns, and he wants to tear it down and he wants to build a completely new one. Well, okay, his property is registered in like the local historic. Thing And he can't do it without jumping through all these hoops that the village has put up. And so that plan is on hold. But ably, and again, the the village president says, well, there's nothing we can do about this because we don't have any ordinances. All right. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So this mansion is coming down. Nothing anybody can do to stop it. But here is the question moving forward. Shorewood is now considering Discussing a historic preservation ordinance, which moving forward would theoretically block or make it more difficult for the next Chris Abley who comes along, who wants to buy a property like this mansion and then tear it down. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Abley Mansion, it's coming down. All right. That, that's what they have decided. That's coming down. But moving forward. Should a community like Shorewood or like your community, should they adopt an ordinance which would essentially tell private homeowners what they can do with the property that they buy? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I know you might disagree with me on this. And and look, I'm no fan of, of Chris Abley, but I guess I firmly believe that if you buy it, you should have the right to do what you want with it. And I just, I hope Shorewood resists the urge to start passing, you know, historic preservation ordinances, which over the objection of the homeowner would make it more difficult for them to do what they want to do with their property. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, should Shorwood make it more difficult for the next Chris Abley to tear down a house? Or if Chris Abley wants another mansion on Lake Drive, you know, should it be more difficult moving forward for him to do this? My answer would be no, 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Back to Take Your Calls, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with a text. Jeff, I think a lot of communities will end up with a bunch of vacant property Who wants to buy a hundred plus year old home that needs hundreds of thousands of dollars in renovations? Most people with that type of money want a modern home with all the modern amenities. Well, that's, I mean, that, that is the reality that's out there because you have these older homes and older homes are beautiful and they have a lot of charm. But at the same time, you know, if you've got a hundred year old home, even if it's in the greatest condition, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to, do the wiring, I mean, it just everything that you need to do, take it from me, takes three times as much time and costs three times as much money. You can do the stuff, but it's hard. Let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hey, how's it going? Thanks Hi, for having me.
1: Sure. What do you think?
5: You know, first of all, it doesn't matter who it is or where it is. Once you buy it, I'm with you there. You've bought it. It's yours. This is a classic case of seller's remorse where, oh, had we known he was going to do this, we wouldn't have sold it. Yeah. But you did. If they cared about it that much, they should have made it a contract or something in writing in the terms when they sold it to say, hey, we're going to sell it to you, but we want you to keep this here or do that hmm. or whatever. They didn't do that, and now they're all in a hullaboo about it. Well, but, right now, uh, and
1: I'm sure what they saw is they, okay, if you're selling a mansion for $2.6 million, the truth is you're, there, there's not that much of a universe of buyers that's out there that can afford to buy that kind of property. So I am sure. With the owners, you see somebody come along like a Chris Abley who can pay two point six million dollars, and you're saying, "Okay, we want to move." Boom! You know, you're not going to put conditions on him. And but the bigger point is, what you know, for anybody who sold a house, maybe you've got some sentimental attachment to that house, but once you sell it, it's somebody else's house. They get to do what they want with it.
5: Yeah, that's true. Once you buy it, it's yours, and it doesn't matter what. Uh what they say about it at that point I still feel they should have laid out terms if they wanted it to stay right. that way knowing that there's no registry in that area.
1: Right. Yeah, thanks. That, that see that that to me is for right, that to me is the key. Shorewood did what they ended up having to do. I guess though moving forward, this is where it gets interesting to me that they, they don't have one of these ordinances on the book. Books should Shorewood moving forward Pass an ordinance designating X amount of properties to be, you know, historical buildings in Shorewood and then pass an ordinance. And again, you're going to have issues about the legality of it and things like that. But then pass an ordinance saying, hey, if this is a property that we have designated as historically significant, you can't do what you want with it. You can't tear it down unless you've jumped through these different hoops. I mean, that is... Moving forward, should Shorewood do something like this? And my answer would be, uh, again, no. If there's a property out there that you feel has incredible historical significance and the community of Shorewood, in this case, doesn't want it torn down, well, then the community of Shorewood can get together and they can buy that property. 414-799-1620. I don't mean to be harsh about this, but if if you buy it, I, especially if there's no ordinance, but I, I don't think the government should be regulating, again, what you can tear down and what you can't. Now, clearly, if you're building something new, they have every right to say, okay, we have these certain different construction standards, and we um, you have to have so much green space to housing and all that type of stuff. You, you have rights to do that, but really, I mean, if it's yours, shouldn't you be able to do what you want with it? George in Milwaukee. George, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for
3: having me. Hi. Hi. Um, I completely agree with what you're saying. I don't think the government should, uh, you know, designate on their own. However, I believe if Shorewood does want to create this ordinance and voluntarily the property owners want to register, I think that's, you know, on the property owners. Because then, then of course, when they want to sell their house, uh, whether it's, you know, attached to their deed or however Shorewood would want to do it, it is on them. They know that they put themselves in that position restricting their potential
1: buyer. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting you would mention that because that's what happened to me in the house I owned in Whitefish Bay. The previous owners, had the house listed on the National Register of Historic Homes because of the architect. So I didn't have a choice. It, you know, they, they signed up there. So then a couple of years after we moved in, Whitefish Bay started its own historic preservation ordinance. But, again, you had to – you you they, they wouldn't force you to put it on there, but you could, you know, if you wanted. But I'm looking at this thing, and if you put it on there, then you gave all these – again, I don't – bureaucrats, but you gave all these, like – essentially unelected folks, the ability to say, you know, what you could do with your house. And I would never agree to that. You know, I mean, I wasn't going to do anything to change the character of it. But if if I want to replace windows, I don't want to have to, you know, get permission from some unelected board somewhere who says, oh, you're going to change the character a little bit. So I I got stuck in the National Register. But I I would personally never put my home on one of those lists.
3: Oh, I think that that should be your choice. You know, if the deed is in your name, (laughs) You yeah. should have full control. So I definitely agree with you
1: there. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. So that's – now, yeah, hopefully – and I think to pass – I'm just kind of trying to think this through out loud to, – to pass constitutional muster, I think the – you know, it would have to be a voluntary type of thing. I, I don't think, for example, if I'm living in a home in Shorewood – and they they pass this historical preservation thing, and you can list your property on the Shorewood whatever. I don't think that they could put my property on there without my permission. Now, once once you give that permission, well then then it's on there. And I think if you, it's just it's something that might might be a turnoff for the next buyer to, to deal with because you might run headlong into a situation like this 414-799-1620. Zach in Milwaukee, Zach you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What
1: do you think?
6: The, my point is, uh, is progression of the city of Shorewood. Obviously, population aging is a, is an issue. So as younger people are starting to come into age of being able to realistically afford properties in the area, there's a lot less people who are younger who are looking for that style of house. Yep. So if you make it so people can't take things down and build new, then you're just going to age your population and it's kind of eventually going to start turning well, no, you you're, you're, you're
1: you're exactly right. Um, the the younger generation, by that I mean younger than me, they're they're not looking for the, these huge, you know, two point five million dollar properties on ten acres. That's not what and I'm not saying. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they, they never sell, but but that's not the hot area of the real estate market now. And you're right. You know, if you make it too difficult for somebody who's got the wherewithal to buy one of those properties, and then then you you don't let them demolish it if they want to. I think you really limit the market for that. Yeah. You know? No. If you're, you know. if you're not going to move
6: to the lake, you're going to move out west.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly right. Pe- people have choices, and that's just. I mean, that's that is the reality that's out there. That these. You know, I, I was reading some housing study about River Hills. I don't mean to pick on River Hills. I love River Hills. But you know, you have these these big estates. A lot of which are on five acre lots. And they were just talking about how for those super premium properties, you know, the properties that are, you know, the million and the two million dollar homes, the, the 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 list of buyers is very, very small. And there's a lot of people who even if they have the wherewithal, they that's not necessarily conducive with with what their lifestyle is anymore. And I'm I'm sure, you know, you can find people to buy these places. Don't get me wrong, and I'm sure that a lot of these are wonderful houses, and I love older houses. I I do, but you know, I guess I think if you bu- if you buy it, you should be able to do what you want with it. Uh, here's a text. Jeff he says, Jeff, I bought an old charmer of a fixer upper, and in retrospect. I probably should have torn it down, but then the ghosts would have had nowhere to go. Um, Yeah, Jeff, I think a lot of communities will end up with a bunch of vacant properties. Who wants to buy a 100-year-old home that needs hundreds of thousands of dollars in renovations? Um, Most people who have that type of money want a modern home with all the modern amenities. Uh, Yeah, so in any event, the Abley Mansion is coming down. Lord knows what's going to go up in its place Moving forward, Sherwood has to decide whether they want to change the rules. My advice would be no. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Yes, Summerfest starts next Wednesday. I have a pair of tickets to the big gig to give away. Let's give them to caller number 13 at 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line caller thirteen. Wins a pair of tickets to Summerfest, and if you are going down to Summerfest, like I say, be sure to stop by our mobile broadcast facility. Um, I will be there four or five days of of the run, um, and then, of course, at the end of the end of uh, July, we have State Fair, and you know that'll be a fun thing as well. And I know a lot of people love to stop by our fishbowl and check that out. Corey Booker is the former mayor of Newark, New Jersey, and he is a senator from New Jersey. Booker is trying to break through. I mean, he's running for president, like everybody is, it seems, and, and he's he's not breaking through. He's he's stuck around 2% in the polls, so he's definitely in that second tier of candidates. But So he's trying to get attention. He's come out with a number of different proposals, including one that comes pretty darn close to confiscation of firearms. He's got another proposal, and this is in the race to go as far left as you possibly can. Here's what he says he will do. The first day he is sworn in, he says he will open the federal prisons and he will give clemency to more than 17,000 inmates who are serving time for drug offenses. Now, we are not talking about possession of marijuana, all right? Because that, that's, not, that's not who's in the federal system as a general rule. We are talking about cocaine dealers. We are talking about heroin dealers. In many cases, we're talking about large-scale cocaine and heroin dealers. We're talking about people who deal methamphetamine. We're talking about people who deal crack cocaine. We're talking about people who deal any one of a number of other dangerous type of drugs. So he's saying, look, there's more than 17,000 inmates who are serving time for quote-unquote nonviolent drug offenses. But these are, in general, big-time drug dealers. He says, my first day of my presidency, I am going to open the prison door, and I am going to to release all these convicted drug dealers sending back into the community. And what do you think 95% of them will start doing again once they hit the streets within three or six months? Well, you get three guesses, but only the first counts. And if the first one isn't, well, of course, they're going to go back to what they know. They're going to start selling dope again. right? Maybe Cory Booker thinks this country is a better place if you have people that can sell heroin and cocaine and methamphetamine to your children and not have any consequences. I hope, though, we are not at that point where this is our vision of America. Just asking. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff
1: Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. One more hour of the program. Quick reminder, John McCure is on the road at the We Love Wisconsin Tour. He's right down the street from us. He's at Solly's Grill in Glendale. When you walk into Solly's Grill on Port Washington Road, you will see a picture of yours truly. up on. I am on the wall. And it's not one of those pictures that say this guy is a deadbeat; he owes money. It's just uh, interestingly, if you haven't been to Solly's or haven't been there for a while, you should stop off and see John. It's um, the, the the interesting thing is the guy that owns Solly's is a guy named Glenn Fieber. Glenn has been a friend of mine for years and years and years. And in the world, it is a small world category. Years ago, when I was in the private practice of law, um, Glenn's wife Mary was my secretary. So we we go back that way so stop off and have a cheeseburger i might even do that i i'm kind of i'm fighting this really really bad cold and i i canceled at least some of the plans that I had for tonight. And I'm, I'm thinking there is a power nap in my future. But maybe a Solly's Butter Burger on the way home. That will either cure me. What do you think, Drew? That's going to either cure me of what ails me or it'll kill me. One of the two. You know? You'll
4: feel something. I can guarantee that. Uh, well,
1: absolutely. You know, that's that. May, maybe, maybe that's exactly what I need to kind of clear out the old insides, clear out the sinuses. Maybe we'll do that. Hey, also, before the end of the hour, we have another pair of Summerfest tickets to give away. All right. Let us get started. I love my dog, but I think the landlord should have the last say. What am I talking about? Well, um, let me back into this. We are, at some point in time, I've always kind of fancied that maybe, you know, when I retire, maybe we'd, we'd want to have like a second place in Florida. We're not, not to leave Milwaukee permanently, but a second place so you could get out of, of the winter. And I've started kind of looking at places like that, figuring even if I have no present plans to retire, maybe if you could find the right place and you could get right the right price, you know, maybe it makes sense to do this even if you don't actually plan to retire for, you know, for a while. So we've been looking at different places and different condos. In this area in Florida. And one of the things that I, I look for as a starting point is whether or not the condo allows you to have pets because lots of condos don't do it. I mean, they've got different rules. Lots of apartments have rules that say no pets. Well, if I see a place that says no pets, well, if you're a regular listener, you know my, my little dog is a huge part of my life and my wife's life, and if, if the place is no pets, I'm not buying it. That That's fine. I understand. They've got the policy. They don't want pets. They're just, I'll find some place that will, will take them because I'm not going to buy a place that wouldn't allow you know my, me to bring my little dog into it. All right? this this is a battle though that is playing out in state legislatures all over the country. Now when when I think of when I think of my dog Right, okay. Yes, she gives me comfort. Yeah, that that's true. When I come home, it doesn't matter how good a day I've had or how bad a day I've had or how good I feel or how bad I feel. I walk into that door and that dog is glad to see me. She's jumping up, she is happy to see me. There and there's there's something I understand not everybody's are pet lovers, but you know, there's just something about having this, this, this dog that wants to sit by your side and follow you around. I, I it gives you comfort. There's no question about it. I appreciate that all right but just because a pet makes you feel good doesn't mean that the pet is is a service animal service animals are like seeing eye dogs that's a special category and if you've got you know a a disability and you've got a specially trained seeing eye dog for example all right that's I understand you if you've got a problem with sight if that's one of your disabilities all right you've got the seeing eye dog it helps you get around I don't think anybody would argue that you shouldn't be able to take that seeing eye dog with you on, on a bus or you know take it into a restaurant with you or anything like that but but these service animals are, are specifically trained and in many cases you know they go through nine months to a year of training there's something different that's out there. There is what's called the emotional support animals. Let me share with you a couple paragraphs of a story in the New York Times today. A 26-year-old Starbucks barista in the suburbs of Tampa, known as Vane Myers, has suffered from anxiety ever since he was a child. So he gets nervous. A coworker suggested he try an emotional support animal. So Mr. Myers bought a duck and named it prima donna the snow white bird has worked wonders for his state of mind whenever i felt like it, it didn't matter in the world prima donna would waddle over and remind me that something does love you all right now he's renting an apartment says his landlord objected said all right you know you, you've got a duck here all right you we don't allow pets and he says oh no no this isn't a pet this is an emotional support animal and he pulls out a letter now this guy's in tampa a letter from a therapist in California who spoke to him over a video chat and then a note from a counselor who met in person with him and the duck. The landlord then threatens, him, look, I'm sorry, the rule is no pets. You can't have pets. He then hires a lawyer and sues saying, I should have the right. I need to have this emotional support animal. Now, there's really no standards for determining what an emotional support animal is. And the people that make the money off of this are the people that sell those harnesses, you know, that say, okay, they make it look like it's a service dog when it's really not a service dog. And also, again, these fly-by-night kind of therapists, you know, in California on the internet, who will say, well, are you stressed out? Well, does having the duck around make you feel better? Okay, well, you need it for an emotional support thing. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is one of the hot areas of litigation. More and more people are saying, we know the rules say no, no animals allowed in the condos, but don't you realize we are stressed, and so we want our emotional support dog because it makes us feel better, or we want our emotional support cats, Or we want our emotional support, pot-bellied pigs. Or we want our emotional support, duck. Or we want our emotional support, I'm not making this up, nine-foot alligator. I'm looking at a picture there. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Should landlords, should businesses have the right to say no pets allowed unless it is a not an emotional support dog that makes you feel better, but unless it is a bona fide um, service animal, like a trained seeing eye dog or something like that, should landlords should businesses have the right to say, "Sorry, we don't allow pets," and if you want to have a duck in your apartment because the duck makes you feel better, go with God, but also go somewhere else. 4147991620 that's the American mortgage talk and text line and of course you know this is a scam that people are running on airlines as well they don't want to pay to have their dogs fly with them or their cats or whatever so instead of paying for the cats to fly or the dogs to fly mysteriously the dog becomes an emotional support animal and then they say it should fly for free i think it is a scam and don't get me wrong i understand that pets You know, brighten your disposition. I understand. I I get it. I'm a pet lover. No question about it. I understand, you know, having the dog can comfort you and things like that. I get it. But that doesn't mean that your right to have that should trump the rights of the restaurant owner or the airline or the landlord. 414 799 1620. We discuss in just a moment.
3: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Deb in Milwaukee. Hi, Deb. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think?
7: So I think that a landlord should be able to stick with the rules that they have because um, bringing a, an emotional support animal, even if it is legitimate, could be infringing on the rights of the other people living in that complex. You know, there could be people who specifically choose a place right. that is does not allow pets because of allergy reasons, and if someone is allowed to bring one in for that reason, then it's kind of, you know, taking one person as more important than the okay. other.
1: Okay, now how would you balance that if it was a legitimate service animal and I'm using service animal different than emotional support animals. I, I, you you have you have somebody who's blind, who who's got the seeing eye dog, the, the trained service animal. Um in that case, do you think the landlord should have to allow that the seeing eye dog to be in the apartment?
7: You know, I'm going to make some enemies but unfortunately I don't. I feel like if a landlord doesn't want pets and animals in their building again because there could be people who have allergies to dogs and it doesn't really just have to be if they're living under the same in the same room with that with that dog. It could be in the same building oh, sure, yeah. and they
3: are affected by it.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I have um, I have several friends who are violently allergic to cats. Interestingly, you know, they can be around my dog but, you know, they walk into a house where there's cats, and within two or three minutes, you know, their their heads are just blown up like balloons, you know, and their eyes are watering and stuff. It's really amazing to, to kind of see this, because I was sort of sensitive, but they're, like, they're fine around my, my dog, but, but cats are the thing. And that would be the example that you give, you know, if somebody... Um, if if somebody if there's cats in the apartment, you know that means that somebody else is not going to be able to do it. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Now, I think it's a tougher call when you're talking about true service dogs. I, I mean, I think that that's a whole different area than this emotional support animal and I look and I understand anybody that has a pet tells you that they get emotional support from it but you know what it's still a pet and I think there's a real distinction between a service dog that's been trained for you know a year or whatever and it's going to help you if you if you're visually impaired get around and oh gee I got a duck because you know the duck it gives me comfort 4147991620 sarah in menominee falls hi sarah Hi, Jeff. What do you think?
7: Um, Well, my feelings go to the training of the animal. Um, A service dog is for someone that has a diagnosis that has been reviewed usually by many doctors or professionals. And the, the animal has had extensive training, and they're screened. If they see any behavioral issues, that animal is disqualified. Right. Where if you have an emotional support Animal, it could also be legitimate, but it could be just some random well, found mo- animal that hasn't been trained that could right. have behavioral issues, and it's now it now is interfering with the safety of the people that they're around.
3: Well,
1: right, and and my guess is Sarah that that ninety percent, maybe more. Of the people who try to get on airplanes with these so-called emotional support animals, that that's what it is. They don't. It's not a dog or a cat or whatever that's been through training for a year or whatever. It's, right. hey, I went to the pet store, I went to the Humane Society, and I got the cat. And, oh, the, the cat gives me comfort, and I, I love all that. So here, now it's my emotional support animal, and I don't care, Mr. or Ms. Landlord, you say I can't move into the place. Well, I'm going to sue you. Well, I just don't think they should be able to recover.
7: Absolutely. And even, you know, there's a difference between like a vet that might have PTSD. He might need an emotional support animal. I'm a mom of three, and I'm very stressed out. But does that mean that because I'm stressed out because of my kids and this dog makes me feel good that I should have this animal. No, yeah. the person that has a legitimate problem or an issue that this animal is helping with, they deserve to have it.
1: Sarah, you need Not. to get yourself a duck. I, I'm told that they make great <laughs> pets. Who, who gets no, a duck? No, those I, things
7: bite. It. They yeah. bite. It. <laughs> I,
1: I swear. I'm, I'm looking at this other one, and in, in the story I'm looking at, they. Um, well, first of all, this has exploded in 2011. To give you an idea, they had there were 2,400. Um service animals registered in this this National Service Animal Registry, which is this, it, I think it's kind of a scam. But, you know, it's where you go and you pay your money and you get the certificate. But now it's up to 200000 and it includes ducks. And I'm looking at this one. It's like an eight-foot-long alligator. Can you imagine if, you know, you're living in an apartment, you've got your three kids or a condo or whatever, and the next-door neighbor rolls in an eight- or nine-foot alligator and says, here, you know, meet Jaws or whatever. Absolutely
7: not. Nope. The The German shepherd for the the vet that went and served for our country, you absolutely get to have that. The person that feels that they need to have an alligator, <laughs> your happy feelings don't trump my two-year-old safety.
1: <laughs> I'm with you. Th- thanks for the call. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm looking at the picture of this, and it's this giant, giant old alligator. No, it's not a crocodile. I think it's an alligator, but even if it's a crocodile, oh, I still don't want it. Kristen in Plymouth. Kristen, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Kristen? Hello. Hi, Hi. Kristen. Hi. What do you think? You're on the air.
3: Um. So I am actually a service dog trainer currently, and I think that each of the dogs, whether they're service dogs.
1: Yeah, Chris, I'm sorry. I, I, I wanted to call, but your, your cell phone was just so distant. I don't think people could hear it. She she was going to say what grew, that she's a she's a service dog trainer, and that people, to get this certification, spend thousands of dollars to do it. And these are dogs that are extensively trained, right?
4: Right. The, 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 there's basically a huge
1: difference between the service animals yeah. and emotional support animals because right. a gerbil could be an emotional well, support animal. That's what people do, right. What, what, the, way, the way this operates is you, you've got... Your pet. And hey, I want to take Sasha down to Florida, but I don't want to I'm not going to ship her in the cargo thing and I don't want to pay whatever the fee is to take her on the plane. So I know what I'll do. I'll go to some Dr. Feelgood out of California and I'll say, hey, I'm stressed out, Doc, but the dog makes me feel a little bit better. Um, how much? Okay, eighty-five bucks, Jeff, or a hundred bucks, or whatever. You get this certificate, then you go to this other place and they they sell you the vests. Here, you know, you can have the vest that you can put her in, and then you go down to the airport and you say, "Well, I need to fly with this." I mean, come on. I, at some point in time, states are starting to crack down on this because it's just been abused by so many people that are out there, and I'm one hundred percent in favor of that. And look, you're talking to a pet lover. I I get it. But the bottom line is, if if you if you want to live in an apartment that's no pets, well, then what you have to do is find an apartment that allows pets if you want to have your dogs or buy a condo that allows you to do it, period. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, I've got another pair of tickets to Summerfest. It starts on Wednesday to give away. Let's give it to caller number 10 at 414-799-1620. Caller 10 to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line wins a pair of tickets to Summerfest. It starts next Wednesday.
0: It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New femme Rejuvenation Clinic. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to get on the show. And now, here is Jeff Wagner.
1: We have not done a movie... Re- when this feature started decades ago, you know, it started off as Friday afternoon at the movies, and then it expanded into something uh, a lot broader. But it occurred to me when I was looking through my list of stuff that we really haven't done a movie-related topic, which is one of my first loves in a long time. So in honor of summer starting, you're hearing the weather forecast, it's finally starting to warm up. We're going to be looking at, you know, 70 and maybe even 80-degree days for a while and those those warm summer evenings. I don't know about you, but one of, one of the things that I enjoy doing on a nice, soft summer night is, all right, after you've been out gone out to dinner or played golf or done whatever, worked in the yard, you, you kind of come home and you sit back and you sit there with, you know, your loved one and you say, okay, let's fire up a movie. Let's open up the windows. Let's open up the doors, get some air in here, and, and let's let's find us a fun movie to watch for the summer. And I thought in honor of the fact that now we now have summer, today is the official start of summer. Today, right? Or is that yesterday? What, 21st. Yeah. So, Official start of summer, I thought for Pop Culture Corner today, sponsored by the New Femme Rejuvenation Clinic, I want to do summer movies. And this is my question. The best movie for a hot summer night, that movie that just and, and it can be a serious movie. It can be a funny movie. It's just, it's a movie that you'd like to sit down on a summer evening and whether you're streaming it or whether it's on, you know, DVD or whatever, the best movie to watch on a summer night, the movie that says summer to you. 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. When you're thinking about summer movies, what, what is the movie that jumps out? And by the way, there's no right or wrong answer to this. As I always say when we do these segments, I encourage you to call quickly because our phone lines tend to jam up. In addition, you know, you don't have to overthink it. It's just, oh, summer movies, movie I like to watch during the summer. Hey, I remember I remember seeing this movie at the drive-in or geez, this movie when I see it, it just makes me think summer. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Best summer movie. Now while Gru is lining up the calls, let me prime the pump. I I don't know that I'm prepared to say that it's the best summer movie, but it's two movies that I think, well, one flies under the radar screen, but I I think they're just, they're quintessential summer movies. One is the original Grease with Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. I mean, it's just, to me, that's one of these sort of classic things. It's got catchy tunes. It's got got Olivia Newton-John, for goodness sakes, and, and that's one. Another is a movie that didn't get anywhere near as much attention a number of years ago, but it's called Shag, S-H-A-G, and it's a movie, it's kind of a coming-of-age movie, and it's set... Um, involves these like four girls who are are down in, in in they're on you know one of these resorts on the east coast and they're there and they're dancing to all that kind of music and stuff. It's just a movie that once again screams summer. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, your best movie of the summer. Let's start with Jack in Elkhorn. Jack, you're on WTMJ. How
6: are you doing, Jeff? Happy uh, summer.
1: Same, same to you. It's here.
6: Uh, my favorite one is can't go wrong with Jaws. Okay.
1: But did you do you remember when you first saw Jaws?
6: I saw the very first time I was showing Milwaukee at Brookfield Square, the very
0: 10 o'clock in the morning, I went and with two of my buddies. I was the very first showing
1: ever in Milwaukee. That movie came out when I was in college, and I will never forget this. The girl I was dating in college, um, we went to see the movie together. And we really didn't. You know, it, Now everybody knows the plot. You know the scenes. But I'm telling you, that first time that big shark comes out of the water and you see it, I mean, everybody in the theater jumps. I think I still have the marks from her fingernails in my left arm from when that shark first came out.
4: I was with two of my buddies, we were in college, we all
6: went to Marquette together. Right. And we scream like little little teenage girls <laughs> <laughs> when that charge, when Josh came out of the I said, I said, to Mark and Denny, I said, did you scream? They going, No. I said, Yes, you did. I hurt
1: my ears. <laughs> uh, yeah, we all, yeah no, Absolutely. Thanks for calling. I mean, it's it's, and again, it's one of these things where, I mean, look, everybody's seen it, and you nowadays, people, you watch it on TV, and you know what's going to happen. And but back then, that first time you see it and you hear that music, boom, 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 boy, I tell you, gets your attention. Okay, movie of the summer. Let's talk to. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon.
2: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. My favorite is Caddyshack. It's got pools. It's got women in swimsuits. Yeah. It's got golf. It's got uh, summertime weather. Some, you know, sunshine. It, uh,
1: Bill it's Bill Murray, summer. and it's got Bill Murray in it. And Bill Murray. Yeah, it's. It, th- thanks. For that. It's interesting. I was I was watching. This is like too much time on my hands, but I was watching a documentary on the making of Caddyshack, and you know, Caddyshack did not do well at the box office. They um. They, they they hired the Animal House guys and they were trying to create another Animal House and it just didn't work. And apparently they, I, and I, by the way, I like Caddyshack, but I guess they film all this and then they get back to Hollywood and they're trying to edit this and they realize they've got no plot, they've got no movie, so they've got a bunch of vignettes. They got Rodney Dangerfield and I love Rodney Dangerfield, you know, doing his stuff. So what they did is they went back and they 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 reassembled the cast and they they put in the Gopher and that was kind of the the thing that was going to supposedly tie up the the plot. But Caddyshack definitely. Entertaining 414-799-1620. Roger in Greenfield Roger you're on WTMJ.
5: Yeah, I just love uh, Ruthless People
1: with Danny DeVito and Bette Midler. Absolutely, I, you know I do too. I um, Ruthless People is a movie. I've been kidnapped by Kmart. Ruthless, you know, Ruthless People is a movie that you either really love or some people are appalled by but i really loved it i thought danny devito was hysterical i'm thinking of a scene out of that movie now that i better not repeat on the radio but you know or else i'll be I, in a, in a meeting but yeah <laughs> Yeah, where he gets the uh, – he, he he answered the phone, and it turns out to be wrong number. But, yeah, exactly. yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. Go go watch the movie, but make sure you watch the, you know, watch the unedited, you know, R-rated version of it. No, Ruthless People was absolutely tremendous. No, thanks for and, – and it's a fun – it's just a fun movie as well. Let's talk to John in Kenosha. John, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Um, so last night – I went to see Toy Story four with my brothers. Okay, and I'd say that's the, that was the best movie of the summer and, and for all summers,
1: really, because
4: they're in the movie. They're at the toys are at the carnival, and it, and it just right. made sense, you know that.
1: Dad, had it, you seen the previous three toys, Toy Stories? Yeah, I did,
4: yeah. and and it was just so great. I was looking forward to it until yeah. last night, and it, it, it just. Blew my mind
1: away. Well, that, no, that, that's no thanks You know, it's getting. Toy Story Four is getting, you know, great reviews. I um, I it's on my list of it's on my list of movies to see because I I think, you know, they do such a great job with it, and they've done. You know, part of the problem, we, you, have, you have all these studios that don't come up with original ideas, and they've got one sequel after another. I mean, do we really? Do we really need another men in black? I mean, seriously, do we need another men in black movie and, and but they keep tr- trotting out that? Do we need another Godzilla movie and you know and, and it's but they keep trotting these things out but toy Story is one of those sort of creative franchises that i, I just i 've always loved them i haven 't seen Toy Story four. But uh, that that to me that's like a matinee one for me. Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon. Armageddon. Oh. Saw it uh, eleven times that summer of ninety eight. Uh, first showing and last showing in Racine. And it was just a fun movie. Uh, you know, action. Yeah, there's a. Uh, it was funny. A lot of action. And how can you not uh, love it when Bruce Willis is uh, uh, doing. Uh, Driving golf balls at a Greenpeace protester boat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, right, and, and right. anything with Bruce Willis, great summer movie. Okay, 414-799-1620. We're going to have time for a couple more phone calls. Um, if you're on the line, hold on. A couple open phone lines. We'll be able to get to you if you want to participate. Best summer movie ever. And I'll share some texts as well. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner, sponsored by New Fem Rejuvenation Clinic.
1: Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. So, Gru, do you ever have those colds where you just like like ache? And that's, I'm just, I like kind of just ache all over. And we're supposed to play golf this afternoon and go to dinner with friends, and I canceled that. And I'm supposed to go to a party tonight. I, I don't know if I'm going to make that. I just want to go home and lay down and have my comfort dog, you know, just kind of sit in my lap. 414-799-1620, uh, Jeffrey and Racine. Jeffrey, good afternoon.
2: Hey, it's got to uh, be American Graffiti. I am yeah,
1: so glad you called. Tar... I am.
2: Yep. <laughs> It's got the cars. It's got the girls. It's even got big boys. If you're yeah. hung out at big boys with the drive, with the girls coming up to the cars, yep. and serving it. Yeah, it's got at all. Or uh, it could be Leons, whatever you want.
1: Right, to e- right, exactly. You know, and that I'm so glad you called because that is. That movie, in many respects, is kind of the soundtrack of the summer. You know, it was one of Ron Howard's first movies. You know, after you know, after Andy Griffith, and you're right, you had Harrison Ford in his first performance, and Suzanne Somers, who was so big on Three's Company and stuff. Uh, You know, the the gal uh, Cindy uh, Williams, who was uh, uh, in Laverne and Shirley. You know, that all that type of stuff. It was just it it was a great movie. Yeah, I agree. No, thanks. uh, Now, unfortunately. Matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, again, I, I watched American Graffiti 2, the sequel, and that's, that's nowhere near as good. But American Graffiti, just tremendous. Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Julie. Hi. Um, okay. I'm going to say the
3: same
1: lot. Yes. Okay, tell me why.
7: Um, it's a movie that the kids liked when they were little, and it was. Um, family friendly, and now that they're in college, now they still
1: like it. Yeah, I have. Matter of fact, here's one of my texts on that, Jeff. For me, it's The Sandlot. Back in the day, I'm 31. My friends and I would get together. We didn't go home till the sun went down. No video games. We just played outside. We could relate.
7: Excellent.
1: Yeah. Yep. No, I'm Sandlot. That's matter of fact. I was watching that. That was um, you're going to see that around a lot. That's making the rounds. Okay, here's a number of the texts. Let's give our, some credit where the texters, The Hollywood Knights... Yeah, that's with Tony Danza. That's a, that's kind of a, a poor man's um, American graffiti. came out like a year or two after that, and it's, it's the same basic premise. It's, in my opinion, nowhere near as good. Jeff, my summer movie, Close Encounters of the Third Time. I saw it with my brother and dad when it came out. We still love it. That's Sarah, who's calling from West Milwaukee. The Sandlot. Oh, Jeff says, On Golden Pond. Okay, so, I mean, that's, of course, the, uh, uh, you know, you've got uh, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, um, Jane Fonda and Henry Fonda, real life, you know, father and daughter, and you, you kind of wonder on that movie whether there's some like real life stuff that's playing out. All right, let's see. Caddyshack, great outdoors. Number of people are mentioning great outdoors with uh, John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. Here's one. Top Gun. Top Gun is an absolutely great summer movie. One of my little pieces of trivia. They film the the scene where it's Meg Ryan and Anthony Edwards, and they playing the piano in this little bar, and they, they film the scene, and she goes up, and her line is, Goose, you big stud, take me to bed or lose me forever. I was in that bar. I collect bars. I went into the bar. They had the piano. I was there. And I was actually there with my wife, and I kept saying, "Come on, do the line, honey. Do the line, you know, Jeff. You big stud. Take me to bed or lose me forever." And she just kind of looked at me. Didn't, didn't get that. Didn't get that line. But I, I was trying. Let's talk to. Let's see, Peggy in Bayview. Peggy, you're in WTMJ.
3: Hi there, Hi,
1: Peggy. Um, Major League. Oh, of course, it's Milwaukee, the old yes. County Stadium. What a great Absolutely. and Bob Uecker. Bob yes. Uecker and
7: I can't. Every time it's on TV, it's one of those I can't turn the channel.
1: Were you living here when they filmed it? Do you remember that?
7: I was in the navy. Okay. So yeah, looking back at it, I just it just brought back home.
1: Right. It, so, it, yeah. You know, it, it is amazing for for those of us. Who, did you grow up here? Yes, I did. Okay, so isn't it amazing when you, you you look at it and you see County Stadium and you see you know, one of the restaurants was this restaurant I used to go to, the old Gritz's Pizzazz on Good Hope Road, yep, or you see the, yep. the mansion that they filmed it in on Lake Drive, You know all, all these yep. different things. You go, I remember all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Now, that was great, uh, great choice. Dylan in Milwaukee. Dylan, the last word is yours. Good afternoon.
6: Hey, thanks for having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, this motivated yeah, my, you
1: to pick up the phone. Great. Okay.
4: Tell me yeah, your movie. Yeah. Um, Meatballs, nineteen seventy four I believe. My dad's a big old school movie guy and every time um, you know, as soon as summer's kicking off you'd always play that one for us. It's a good, uh-huh. you know, good hearted summer camp movie. Yep.
1: Bill, I, you know, I love that movie. That was Bill Murray's first movie. You know, that was you know where he was just start, know that he was just starting to break out with Saturday Night Live and stuff. And yeah that that was his that was his first movie that that he made. And then he went on Caddyshack and he did all those other stuff. But yeah, he plays he plays this camp counselor. Yeah, right. I I actually I'm not gonna I'm not gonna inflict you with it, but I remember one of the songs from Meatballs too. You know where they're so. Thanks for going. No, I just Are I you love, ready for
2: the summer. That's Are you ready exactly for
1: the sunshine? right. Exactly. Thanks. For, I, I I remember that. And then Bill Murray does this rant about how we can win all these different things. But at the end of the day, we're not going to get the really looking good-looking girls because these people at this other camp, they're the ones that have all the money. John McCure on the road. We'll talk to him in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. I have to explain about that. So you're at Solly's for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.
0: You got that right, Jeff. We are here for all the fun until 6 o'clock. It is Solly's right on Port Washington Road. A couple of things we're going to dive into today. America and Iran, how close are they to actually going to war? We'll be live in the nation's capital on that story coming up at 3.20. Carrie Underwood in the NFL being sued by a young lady who says the theme song for Sunday Night Football was stolen from her. We'll dive into that this afternoon as well. And, of course, we'll give away some money to a very deserving charity. It's the All-American Window Indoor We Love Wisconsin Tour Look. Okay.